Proverbs chapter 1. And we're also going to be going to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, right from the beginning. So if you guys don't mind, uh, Proverbs 1 and Colossians 3. Let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Thankful for those that you brought out on a very busy Sunday morning. And I just pray that they would be blessed by taking the time just to grow and go deeper and worship you. Lord, I just think of all the outreaches going on at the fair right now. Just uh, keep all those people in prayer and a lot of families over at the fair right now, too. Give them purposeful opportunities to represent you in just every conversation they have. Um, Bless the prayer booth over there. Bless the VBS coming up on Wednesday, the back-to-school bashes. Let it not be about the entertainment, Lord, but about the people and the kids growing deeper in you. Thank you in your name. Amen. Proverbs 1 and Colossians 3 to start out with. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, I just want to remind you as we start our study in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1-7, how that is such a key foundational verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the beginning. God is telling us that's where to start. The place to start is the fear of the Lord. Now, this is not the trembling fear. I'm afraid to even pray. I'm afraid to worship. I'm afraid to share my faith. No, this is a healthy, all reverence, respect for who God is. And if you weren't with us last week, I highly encourage you, get a copy of the CD, listen to it online, because it's so important to know the fear of the Lord is where it all starts. This goes all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the idea of fearing God. We fear God in our decisions. We fear God in our choices. And so, therefore, everything I do goes through the filter of the fear of God. And, Lord, how do you want me to live my life? To the point of, Lord, how would I even think about making a decision on my own without going through the fear of the Lord? And that is the beginning, and I can't stress that to you enough. Understand that's the beginning, and so since that's the beginning... That's where we want to start. And when we get that foundation laid, the rest of Proverbs makes sense. The book of Proverbs, once again, it's not a book about theology. It's not a book about end times. It's a book about practical, godly living in this world. Such an important book. And there's this ongoing theme of wisdom. And the way I define wisdom is this, knowing God's way of doing it. You will know a lot of people in this world that are very, very smart. But they're not wise. So they have a lot of letters behind their names. They have a lot of intelligence. But we're looking for godly wisdom to know God's way of doing things in this world. And that's the wisdom that we want to have. So the beginning starts in seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. When we despise God's wisdom, God's instruction, we're called a fool. You don't want to be a fool. That's one of the biggest insults that is used in the Bible is to be a fool. No, Lord, we want your will. So with that being said... Let's continue to go into our study here in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Remember this idea of Proverbs. Proverbs is this idea of a, a son writing instruction to his father. Excuse me, a son being receiving instruction from his father. And so what happens here, and it's my son, this word is going to be repeated about 20 plus times in this book. And what is it? It's such a great book to stop and say, Lord, how is it supposed to be? And so my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Note there's two things going on in that verse. Kids are supposed to listen. That's what we normally focus on. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Kids are supposed to listen, but you know what else? Parents are supposed to teach it. That's the way the system works. Kids hear, but yet the parents are supposed to teach it. And not just verbally say it, but to go out and actually live it out. 
Parents, if you have kids at home, you know how your life and your lifestyle is such a witness to them. We can all remember things growing up, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and those lessons that we learned from parents that have just stuck with us throughout the years. Kids, are we willing to listen? Parents, are we willing to teach? The problem is sometimes kids aren't willing to listen, but the parents are willing to teach. But I also see kids that are willing to listen, and then they don't have parents living the life and trying to teach it. You know, turn with me real quick to Psalm 127. Just one book to the left. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God's got to be the foundation of your house. We live in a society today where we think that we're going to become this closer-knit family by game nights, and we're going to go take long walks on the beach and collect seashells and do this other type of stuff. Those things aren't bad within and of themselves. But the Lord builds the house. God's the foundation. And I don't know what your house is. Your house could be one person, you. Your house could be nine. That's my house. I have a household of nine. The Lord builds the house. And so if you're a household of one, is the foundation of your life the Lord? Is that what you're building your house on? It doesn't matter how many in your household is that's what it's being built on. We just finished up Joshua on Wednesday, and we studied a lot on Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we talked about what is a house that serves the Lord looks like. It serves. It's in the scriptures. It's fearing God. And we went through all the different things. And a lot of times when we think of households and families, we think of a happy, healthy family is this. God has a complete different definition of what a spiritually happy, healthy home looks like. Be careful you don't get sucked into what the world says is the happy, healthy home. We want the Lord to build the house. Anything else that we're doing on our own, we're laboring in vain. And I've seen a lot of families put a lot of time, energy, into effort that has nothing to do with eternity. And it's laboring in vain. Can there be benefits that come out of it? Sure, God can use anything. But you want your foundation to be on the Lord. So now back to Proverbs 1. Kids need to listen. Parents need to hear it. Parents need to teach it. And so as we go out and the parents live it, the kids hear this and they understand it and then they apply it. And these life lessons, not just the words, but also the actions. Because a lot of times parents are good at the words, but are they following it through in their lifestyle? Kids remember these things. I remember uh, growing up as a kid one time, we were loading out a load of hay. And we were loading out of the barn. The guy came and took the load of hay, paid for it, and paid for it with cash. And I remember him giving the money to my dad, and I remember him just making a comment to my dad saying something, you know, you don't, you don't have to report this on your taxes. And my dad said, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to report it. I'm going to do the right thing. Now, as a kid, I had no idea that what was going on. You know, I just thought dad took the money, took the hay, whatever. And as I got older, I realized what my dad was doing. The guy was basically saying, you don't have to report this on your taxes. And my dad's like, nope, this is the right thing to do. And I remember that life lesson that my dad at that moment was going to do the right thing. No one would ever know. No one would ever understand. But yet he was going to do the right thing. And that life lesson is carried with me. And every time I cheat on my taxes now, I feel guilty because I saw my Lord. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Colossians, please. Colossians, please. But it's that life lesson that we remember. So the Lord has to build the house. The kids need to listen. The parents need to teach it. Why is this so difficult? It is so difficult to do. Because the enemy likes to attack the foundation, and the foundation is this family, and the family has to be built on the Lord. 
because we're raising up disciples. We're raising up the next generation to go out there and impact people for Jesus Christ. I mean, we like to think about this idea of family and kids, and the truth is you got about 20 years to really influence them. And then they go out and they represent Jesus Christ on their own. And so we want to make sure that we're building the house on the Lord, nothing in vain. So it's interesting here in Colossians 3. Verse 17 and verse 23 are what we know a lot in Colossians 3. Look at 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Those are the verses that we focus a lot on in Colossians. But I find it fascinating that the bookends of 17 and 23 are basically saying the same thing. Whatever you do is for the Lord. And then in between those two bookends of whatever you do is for the Lord... Look what you got. 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. See, God doesn't like to repeat things. But when he basically says the same thing in 17 and 23, and he puts that stuff in the middle, what's he telling you? Guys, marriage, family, and a house on the Lord is hard. It is a difficult thing to do. And he's telling him, remember, you're doing this for the Lord not for man. See, look at 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. I love Dawn. I love her as Christ loved the church. And you know why I love Dawn as Christ loved the church? Because God told me to. And I have to stand before God in the fear of the Lord. I want to make sure I'm loving her properly. I love my boys. And I want my boys to grow up and know the Lord deeply and personally. And you know why I train them in the Lord? Because I fear God. Now, you may sit here and say, well, that doesn't sound very romantic. You don't want a marriage based on romance. You want a marriage based on the Lord. You want a marriage based on what God's word says. Because to be quite honest, romance comes and goes. There are times where I am unlovable, and Dawn still honors and respects me. Not because I've earned it or deserved it, because God told her to. There's times where Dawn is unlovable, and yes, she is. And I still love her, (laughs) because God told me to. That's what it's based on. And so that's why God has to remind me in 17 and in 23. Whatever you do, James, you're doing it for the Lord. You're doing devotions because I told you to with those kids. You're taking care of your wife because God told you to. Out of fear of the Lord, I do that. And I understand in 24, knowing that from the Lord, I will receive the reward of the inheritance because I serve the Lord Christ. I don't serve Dawn. I don't serve my kids. And I don't take this the wrong way. I don't serve this church. I serve Jesus Christ. This happens to be where I serve, but I serve the Lord. And that is what drives me to do what I do. So if you are sitting here this morning, you're like, okay, I want this. I want this Psalm 127. I want to build my house on the Lord. I want this. And it doesn't matter if your household is one or it's a household of nine or 10 or 11. You got to lay the foundation on the Lord. Anything else is in vain, Psalm 127. If you got kids at home, teach them. The kids listen. And if you've got a wife at home or a husband at home or kids, what have you, you've got to go back to Colossians 3 and say, whatever I do, I'm doing it for the Lord. Because I'm going to serve the Lord God. That is what is so vitally important. And that's what the book of Proverbs is trying to tell you. Last week, fear God. Get wisdom. This week, okay, now that you got the wisdom, put it into practice. You personally and in your family. Do you all know families? that are functioning, but it's not spiritually healthy. You know families that are taking care of their end means, but they're not blessed because they're building the house in vain. Let's do it God's way and see what happens.
So what's the first tidbit of information that we have here? Verse 10, my son, as sinners entice you, do not consent. Remember that phrase, my son, used 20 plus times in this book. A father speaking to his son, to his child. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. First point he tells them, run, flee, flee from sin. See, now the problem is that doesn't sound very manly. I want to be strong enough to be able to look sin in the eyes and say, you don't bring me down. You don't tempt me. And I can't. I'm not strong enough to do that. I mean, I know Romans 6 that I'm dead to sin. I know Romans 7 that I carry around this body of death. I get it. I know the theology of it. My flesh is weak. And so if sinners entice me, do not consent. See, this is an ongoing theme in the Bible. And the New Testament uses the word flee. Flee from it. Run from it. And if you're a note taker, I just want to share the different passages of flee. 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful lusts. 1 Timothy 6.11. 1 Timothy 6.11. Flee greed. 1 Corinthians 10.14. 1 Corinthians 10.14. Flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 6.18. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual morality. Please note it doesn't say fight. It says flee. Run. That's what we got to remember. Sometimes the best defense we have is just to turn tail and run. That doesn't make us weak. That makes us strong. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph is a slave in Egypt. He's putting Potiphar's wife, and he keeps getting blessed by God. But the problem is Potiphar's wife starts to like Joseph. So one day she comes up to Joseph, and she says to Joseph, Hey, I like you. Joseph says, Sorry, I'm not going to mess with you. You were my master's wife. That'd be wrong. That'd be inappropriate. So what happens is there comes a time later where Joseph is alone in the house with Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife goes past the point of, I like you, now I want you. And what does Joseph do? He runs. He runs so quick that she grabs onto his garment and gets a piece of his garment, but he ran. And I got in my own little mind, and you can think this is weird and strange. If I'm walking down the road, walking in the mall, wherever I'm at, and I see something that's inappropriate that wants to bring me in, in my mind I just think, flee. I just turn my head, I look down, I do something like that because I'm supposed to flee these things. I'm supposed to flee youthful lusts. What are youthful lusts? Do you remember back being young and dumb, not thinking things through, realizing this is really a stupid decision and yet I'm still going to go ahead and do it? Flee those decisions. Flee greed. Greed. We're going to talk more about greed here. Flee that pursuit of money, that pursuit of the promotion, that pursuit of the raise, the pursuit of the prestige. Flee that greed. Flee idolatry. What's idolatry? Well, it is little statues. We don't usually deal with that. Idolatry is anything that gets between you and God. It can be anything. I know people that may spend hours a week, maybe even a couple hours a day, in exercise. That can become an idolatry because they're not even worrying about the Lord. They're more worried about their physical body. Flee sexual immorality. If it's wrong and inappropriate, change the station. Turn the TV off. Not listening to it. Not watching it. Not being around it. I am fleeing it. That's the strongest thing to do is to just run, run. We have some ducks at home, and they are a lot of fun. If you don't have any ducks, you should get a couple of ducks just because they're fun. Now, I don't feel bad for our ducks. They have wings. They can fly. They choose not to. So in the middle of January, when our ducks are walking, and they do this very elaborate big step, big step, because they don't want their... Uh, uh, to be on the snow, I always think, you know, you can head south with everybody. No one's making you stay here. So every now and then, our dog, Bella, who is really a good dog, she just gets ornery. She sees a duck, and she says, I just want to chase for a little bit. Most of the time, she does good. So she chases the ducks. 
And you may think I'd get mad at Bella. I don't get mad at Bella. You know why? The duck can fly. Bella can't, as far as I know. The duck can fly and leave. The duck could circle above Bella and just quack at her because the duck has that ability. The duck has chosen not to because they're domesticated in their house. The point is they can flee. I see so many of us Christians sitting here whining and moping and complaining about a sin where really the answer is, have you ever just run from it? Well, I mean, it'd be really... No, sometimes it really is just turn your back and run. Just flee. Well, that's going to be awkward. That's going to be weird. Yeah, but it's better than sinning. So you got a girl at work that's getting too close. Flee. You got a television program that brings you down. Flee. You got something that is a temptation to eat, to drink, whatever. Flee. That's a lot of the answer right there. Yes, Romans 6, I'm dead to it. Yes, I understand what Jesus did. Yes, I understand as long as there's flesh on these bones, I'm going to be tempted. But the first advice the dad gives the son in verse uh, 10 is, my son of sinners entice you, do not consent. Just get away from there. What do they want to do? Verse 11, if they say, come with us, let us lay in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, like the grave, and whole like those who go down in the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us also have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lay in wait for their own blood. They they lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owner. Some great Good advice here that he says, run from them, don't go near them in any way whatsoever. What do they want to do? Verse 11, come with us. We're going to lurk secretly. We have to be secret about it. If you've got to hide something, it probably means it's wrong. We've got a little rule. The only time we're allowed to hide things and lie is for uh, Christmas and birthdays, surprises like that. Anything else, why do you have to hide it? I've shared this example with you many times before when my boys were young. If they ever went behind the couch and just sat there, I knew they were doing something wrong. They're not playing a game back there. They're not watching TV back there. They're behind the couch because they want to lurk secretly and hide something. That's what we do. If we have to hide it, it's probably not good. What else do we see here with sin? Verse 13, we shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Sin is selfish. What do I get out of it? Not what happens to you. What do I get out of it? Verse 13, I get the possessions. I get to fill my house with spoil. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care what happens to it. It's selfish. And a lot of times when I see households go down, it's just there's a selfishness. I know in my own life, my biggest sin I face is selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to throw myself a little pity party. It's a selfishness that needs to be dead. Because it's all about me. So what else does he say to him? Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Two things. Don't walk with them and don't walk where they walk. If you have individuals in your life that are bringing you down, they are not edifying you, they are not equipping you, and when you get around them and you walk with them, it leads to sin. Stay away from them. Don't go near them. Now, sometimes people stop and say, well, if I'm not near them, who's going to lead them to Jesus? First off, the Holy Spirit is bigger than you. He'll bring somebody in. Number two, a lot of times what I hear is there's really not a whole lot of witnessing going on. There's just a lot of sinning going on. Now, some people may say, it's difficult. This person is my father. It's my mother. It's my brother. It's my sister. Careful with those earthly relationships. 
Sometimes those are the people that we need to distance ourselves a little bit from and say, listen, this is bringing me down. I'm not supposed to walk with them. Okay, what happens if it's my spouse? That's a little harder. You're one flesh. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you're supposed to be a witness, though, in your daily living activity. And so that one you're supposed to stay with and say, I want to be a light and a witness. Keep your foot from their path, verse 15. Don't walk where they walk. You know what brings you down. You know. And so therefore, if there's something that brings you down, don't go near it. If you struggle with drinking, don't go to the carryout. If you struggle with drinking, don't go into the bar. If there's somebody at work that's going to lead you away, keep your distance. If there's a movie or a show that you know it's going to be a problem, don't watch it. Flee. Wisdom is saying, that person brings me down. I need to distance myself. Wisdom is saying, that activity, that action brings me down. I need to distance myself. And then look what he says here in verse 17. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. New Living Translation says this. If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. Even a bird is smart enough to stay away from a trap. Proverbs is saying you're smarter than a bird. You can see the issue, the problem coming. Stay away from it. It is just going to cause problems. Because it comes down to what? Verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Greed is going to kill you. Greed for riches. Greed for more attention. Greed for more possessions. It's going to kill you. Go with me to 1 Timothy 6, please. 1 Timothy 6. Let's talk about this idea of greed. First Timothy chapter 6. The dangers of wanting more. Look how Paul starts out this point in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Boy, isn't that right there? You got the Lord. You're born again and saved. You have a home waiting in heaven. Be content. Just be careful of not wanting more. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. One of the things we say to the boys is this. Do you have food in your belly? Do you have clothes in your back? Do you have a roof over your head? Then everything's covered. We're good. There's a contentment that comes with this. See, the problem is we always want one more thing. We want the promotion. We want the raise. We want the extra time. We want this. We want that. And so what happens is we're not content and we want one more toy. Well, look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. If you're desiring to be rich, it's going to cause a problem. Now, you may stop right here and say, okay, James, this is one now where I, I'm not... I'm not desiring to be rich. Everybody has a different definition of rich, though, don't they? I I don't know, James. I I don't want to be rich. I just want to be able to have enough money to do what I want, when I want. I just want to have enough money to be able to go out and enjoy life. I just want to be able to have enough to do this. See, I'm not rich, because what's rich? Rich is like, you know, those multimillionaires. No, I don't want that. And what happens is we start making this definition of subjective of what's rich. You can be greedy over a penny. you got to be careful. What is your desire? I heard a teaching one time where it says, guy came up to the pastor, and the pastor um, asked him, how are you going, anything I can pray for? And the guy said, yeah, I got this promotion uh, coming up for work. Could you just pray that it would work out? 
pastor said, sure, because that's what we do. Sure, we'll pray. And the pastor walked away and he said, started thinking to himself, saying, I don't know. Why do we want the promotion? Because we want more money? Because we want more money to be able to go further the kingdom of God? Because we want to work more hours? We want the prestige? We want the bigger office? We want all that. Why do we want, always want more? And that's something that's really hit me. Desire to be rich. You've got to be careful what that is in your life. To always want more. Because when you do it, look at nine. You fall in temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Generally speaking, when we get more money, we buy more toys. We buy bigger things. And then we need to buy more storage for them. And then we have to have more worry and concern for them. And how many of us, looking back, look at a decision we made financially, and it was absolutely foolish. And you literally paid for it. And you step back and you say, wow, I didn't pray over that. I didn't seek the Lord over that. I didn't say what furthers the kingdom. I had more money coming in and decided this is what I want. And what does it do? Nine, drowns men in destruction and perdition. Drowns them. Now, this is how our story is going to sound harsh, and I promise you it was not my intention to be harsh with it. Probably 10, 15 years ago, had a guy that just kept popping in. Never came out to church. See my car would just pop in. And he would come in and he would say, I, you know, I don't, don't have any food. I don't have any money. I don't have a place to stay. Can you give me a hotel room to pour in? And then another time was, can you just give me a couple bucks so I can go take a shower at the uh, truck stop? Can you get me a sandwich and all this other type of stuff? And so you talk to him. You try to find out more what's going on. And I don't remember what year it was. I, I think it was before I had kids. So we're probably talking at least 15 years ago. And he had... A brand new, and I mean literally that year, whatever it was, 2003-something. And so he's talking about how he doesn't have any money. And I asked him, I said, okay, but you have this car. He goes, I know, I know. I asked him, how much is your payment? Not making this up. His car payment was $549 a month. $549 a month. So he asked for a hotel. I said, I I think you got a house (laughs) right there that you can sleep in. I said, what you need to do... Sell it, get rid of it, it's killing you. It is, verse 9, it is drowning you. It's drowning you. He wasn't willing to let it go. He'd rather sleep in his car without a shower and go hungry because he looked good in whatever vehicle he had. And I just wonder how many times financially do we make foolish, harmful decisions that drown us in destruction and perdition. Dawn and I have reached a point, and please listen to the full story of this, the full story Because sometimes people get up and they only hear half the story. And then I get the email and it's like, okay, well, go back and and listen because I tried to explain. Something the Lord's really been working on our heart is this. 2 Corinthians 9-11. That when God has blessed us, it's to go bless other people. God is generous with us so we can be generous with other people. And we've tried to reach this point of where money comes in, we stop and say, Lord, what do you want us to do with it? It's, it's, It's your money. And I'm telling you, that's one of the most freeing things we've ever done spiritually. It's to stop and realize that literally every penny is God's. It's not ours in any way whatsoever. And now there's times when the Lord brings extra money in that we stop and say, okay, just like with Joseph, there's seven good years and there's seven lean years coming. So there's wisdom and planning ahead. Proverbs teaches us, consider the ant who stores up food in the summer for the winter. So there's times when we know that there's going to be a large bill coming and we need to set aside money for it. But there's also a lot of times where the money just starts piling up. And you look at this money and it's easy to stop and say, wow. There's almost a safety, a security net in looking at that account balance. And we went through that. 
And we reached a point with 2 Corinthians 9, 11, realizing, wait a second, Lord, you've been generous with us. We just want to be generous with others. And so when that money comes in, who can we give it away to? And we just start praying right then. Who, who can be blessed? Who's in need? We're just going to keep giving. And you know what? As we keep giving, guess what God keeps doing? He just keeps giving us more. And what do we do? We just keep giving it away. And God just keeps giving us more. Because God says, if you're going to be generous with it, I will give it to you. Because you know what the Bible says with the other verses? It's a great verse in Proverbs that says, your money sprouts wings and flies away. Have you ever felt that way when you look at your budget? Where does it all go? There's another passage in the book of Amos that says, your money bags have holes in it. So by the time you leave work and get home, all the money has fallen out. Why? Because you're not honoring God with it. That's why it's so important to honor the Lord. That's why it's so important to set aside the money and say, God, it's yours. So therefore, when I give to the church or I give to the ministries, I'm stopping and realizing, God, it's yours. And you're going to bless me. When I say bless me, it doesn't mean I get more. It's more opportunity to go bless other people because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, we want to bless. And anytime this teaching comes up of giving and being generous, people always stop and say, okay, James is going to say something about a building project or something like that. And yes, that's why I'm bringing it up. So if you want to give, no, I'm kidding. No, there's no building project. I want you to be blessed. It says in the book of Philippians, when Paul's talking to the church of Philippi about giving, he says, listen, I want you to give, not because I get more. He goes, because you guys get blessed. That's the truth of it. Because look at verse 10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. For which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money can make sorrowful decisions for you. Where you look back and say, I'm stuck now with this payment for the next 60 months. Or I work 12 hours a day, 7 days a week for all this overtime to pay this off, get ahead, to buy more toys. And next thing you know, I lost my wife and my kids. It's not worth it. It pierces, it's sorrowful, and it's greedy. Trust the godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is coming from the wisdom of Proverbs to say, learn from this. That greedy takes away your life. Now, I have another story to share with that that I'm going to get to in a little bit. So let's go back to Proverbs 1. Now, after he says, son, be afraid in a, in a serious way, fear God that you don't go down this path. Now in verse 20, he says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. He says, now let me tell you about wisdom. Now sometimes people get bothered by this because wisdom is personified as, as a woman. Don't, don't look too much into that. Jesus said that he was wisdom in Matthew. He was wisdom in Corinthians. This is the way the Hebrew language is working. You know, in the English language, we don't usually have male and female nouns, but in other languages they do. And wisdom considers as that female voice. So wisdom is calling aloud. Wisdom wants to talk to you, raises her voice in the open squares, cries out. Wisdom wants to lead you down good choices. Remember, wisdom is knowing God's way of doing things. And so wisdom is the Lord wants to speak to you. And how does the Lord speak to you? He can speak to you through worship. He can speak to you through God's word, through the body of Christ, through prayer, through just the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The question is, are we willing to listen? Wisdom cries out, do we take the time and energy? People have big decisions in life. And it should scare us to make decisions in life without seeking the Lord. Proverbs says in just a couple chapters, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. It's the wisdom of God. Because the problem is 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. See, wisdom says, listen, you're simple. You're naive. You need wisdom. You can't make decisions on your own. And how arrogant and prideful for us to say, oh, no, Lord, I got this one. And for us to reject it, for scorners delight in their scorning. Scorners, they scoff at wisdom. They mock wisdom. They're arrogant. They're prideful. They won't listen. Have you ever known someone who's a scoffer, a scorner? They already know it all. You can try to lead them in wisdom and God's word. Nah, they already know it all. They got it all figured out. Anything you say, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. Well, then why aren't we living it? There's an arrogance and a pride in being a scorner or a scoffer that you just reject wisdom. Or the fool, 22. Fools hate knowledge. Fool, dull, stubborn, and they just ignore wisdom. See, the scorners and the scoffers know it all. The fools just completely ignore it. And Proverbs is warning, don't be the scorner, don't be the scoffer, don't be the fool. Listen to wisdom. Accept it. Verse 23, turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. Let wisdom rebuke you. Learn. Learn. So I told the story earlier about how Dawn and I are in this season of just... Whatever the Lord brings, it's his. Now, I would like to tell you that we came to this conclusion out of some deep prayer, fasting, and spiritual. Yeah, that happened. That happened after we got rebuked. See, the rest of the story is this. There came a time years ago where I don't know what happened. God had blessed us. And we kind of just happened to look at the checking account. It's like, there's a lot of money in the checking account. Wow, how'd this happen? And so we kind of said, this is really cool. Lord, thank you. So now that there's this nice amount in the checking account, we did the token Christian prayer because that's what we're supposed to do, right? Lord, what do you want us to do? And after we did the token Christian prayer, we forgot about it. And we just started saying, oh, we could do this. We could do that. We could get this toy. We could do this. And we had all these fun little dreams and all these little things, and we could play with this and do that. And we get the token little prayer again. Lord, what do you want us to do? We didn't stop and say, Lord, this is your money. Now, we thought it, but we didn't mean it. We didn't stop and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because it's really yours. And according to 2 Corinthians 9, 11, you have blessed us to bless others. We just stopped and said, oh, wow, thank you. And what happened was this. A bill came. And it was a very large bill. A bill that we did not expect to be that big in any way whatsoever. And it really shocked us and surprised us. And that nice amount that was in checking was completely overtaken with the bill. Now, I thank God that there's enough money in there. And I thank God that it has taken care of. But I tell you, you may sit there and say, oh, that was just God's blessing. Yes, it was. But you know what? It rebuked us. It rebuked us to stop and say, who are we to think that this is ours? And that changed us. And that changed us down a path of stopping and realizing that every penny that comes in through the fear of the Lord, God, what do you want me to do with it? Does this mean that I can't go out and enjoy things with my family? That I just take my boys and let them put their noses up against the windows at the store and say, dream, boys, dream. You sinners, just dream. You know, no, I don't do that. But I try to train them in saying, this is God's. Now, do we all struggle with it? You bet we do. Dawn and I had to be rebuked with that. And we learned, I hope we learned our lesson to stop and say, Lord, and we're trying to now pass it along to the boys. That when the money piles up, and we stop and say, okay, guys, who are we giving this to? Let's pray over this now. And hopefully to train them that's not ours. 
Sometimes they get it. And it's a blessing when they can get it. Can you imagine if you could go back and have wisdom from a very early age with finances? Can you imagine if you could go back and have wisdom at a very early age with all life decisions? The boys, we made a list this summer. What do you want to do? What do you want to look back on this summer? And what are the memories? You know, school's already started for us. So it's like, what did you want to do? And one of the things the boys wanted to do is we don't go very often because there's really not a lot of good choices. And it, it's, we're five boys. We have to take out second loans to do this. But they said, we want to go see a movie. So we waited till there was an appropriate movie. And I said, sure. And so we go to the matinees where it's only a couple bucks, you know, a kid. And, and they said, Dad, we'd really like to get candy at the movie theater. That's one of the things they wanted to do. So I said, sure, we can, we can do that. So I actually, you know, set aside some money for it because, you know, wanted to bless them. So we get up there, paid for the tickets, and we go up to the candy thing. And they're all going to get a box, you know, of candy. And this is what they wanted to do. You know, we didn't do a vacation or anything. Just let's go see a movie. So we get there, and they look at it. And the box of candy, like, it was close to five bucks. And I looked at it, and I thought, oh, my, this is the dumbest decision that I'm ever going to make. And I stopped, and I thought, I can't do this. I can't. I can't go spend $25, whatever it's going to be, for them all to have a box of candy. They sell them for less than a dollar at Walmart. But I stopped, and I thought, you know what? As a father, I want, this is what I want to do. This is what they want to do. God, you have blessed us. It's, it's, we can do this. It's okay. So I got, so I get ready to go up, and I say, okay, boys, which one do you want? And then Elias looked at me and goes, Dad, because we can't do this. They sell them for a dollar at Walmart. <laughs> and I said, you were raised good. You know what I mean? <laughs> but before you think my family is perfect, one of the four, one of the five, I should say, you know it wasn't Elias, I won't say who it was, said, no, Dad, I want the candy here. <laughs> so I'm just telling you. But they stopped, so we went to Walmart, and I said, sure, go ahead. It's only five bucks now to save 20. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, if we can train them and teach them at an early age, hopefully, I mean, how many things could we have learned? Wisdom is calling aloud. She says, I want you to be different. And 23, she rebukes us. I tell you right now, accept the rebuke of wisdom. If you are wrong, you're wrong. Don't try to make excuses or whatever. You've heard me say this so many times. I'm so tired of people saying, you know, I'm sorry, but. No, there's nothing to say after that. If you're sorry, you're sorry. So if wisdom has rebuked you, you're wrong and we move on. And look what happens. I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. That's what I want, Lord. Reveal to me, lead me, guide me. But I have to have an open heart. I tell you, from 24... To 32, these are some tough verses. Read along with me here. Because I have called you and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. That's some tough verses right there. God is basically saying this. If you want to reject my path, if you want to reject my wisdom, then you have to take what comes to you. Now, this is an ongoing theme in the Bible. Can you go with me to Galatians 6, please? 
Galatians 6. God says, if you want to, in your own free will, reject my wisdom, you're allowed to do that. But there's going to be ramifications to it. I think back in the Old Testament, when Israel wanted meat, they were whining and complaining. Sure, their needs were met. They had manna. They had water. But they wanted meat. So they complained to God and said, we want meat. God says, you want meat? I'll give you meat. So he sent them quail. And these quail came and flew about two and a half feet right off the ground. And so they were just right here. And the Bible says they could just go out and say, you want a quail? Catch a quail. They ate so much quail, the Bible says, that it came out their nostrils. And they got sick and they died. Now, how can a loving God allow that to happen? He didn't make them eat it. He warned them against it. What about Hezekiah? Hezekiah, one of the great kings of Judah. God came to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Hezekiah went, whined, prayed. And God said, do you want more years? Hezekiah says, I want more years. Sure, Hezekiah have more years. And if you go stay out Hezekiah's life, he just made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision when God extended his life. But why didn't God say no? Because take a look at Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Free will is both a blessing and a curse. And free will, I can choose to love my wife. I can choose to be in the Word. I can choose to worship, to serve, to minister. Or in free will, I can choose to do whatever I want. What Proverbs is teaching us is this. If in your free will, you choose to live a life apart from the wisdom of God, when that life gets you into trouble, you can't blame anybody else but yourself. Does that mean you can't call to the Lord for help? No, God is merciful and gracious, etc. But it doesn't mean he's going to save you out of the pits that you created. Go with me to Isaiah 59, please. Isaiah 59. Sometimes I dig a pit, I jump right in it. And I say, God, get me out of the pit. And God says, nah, I'm going to let you stay there for a while. But God, you're a loving, gracious, merciful God. Why would you let me stay in this pit? Because if I pull you out of the pit right now, you're just going to go dig another one. But if I keep you in that pit for a while, you're going to think. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he would not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. God's telling Israel, guys, it's not that I can't save you, it's not that I can't help you. You have chosen to live a life away from me and this is the consequence and action of it. Wisdom is learning and accepting the rebuke of God to say, I don't want to go down that path again. And wisdom is saying, before I even choose the path, I'm praying, fasting, seeking, leading, Lord. What do you want me to do? But what we have a tendency to do as humans is go down our own path that we chose in our flesh and then whine and complain about it. God says, I didn't lead you. I didn't guide you. Well, why didn't you stop me? Because of free will. That's the path you wanted to take. Okay, well, I went off the path right now. It doesn't work that way. 
But you're God, you're big, you're strong. Oh yeah, I could take you off the path right now, but you won't learn your lesson. You're not going to turn at my rebuke the next time. I need to keep you on this path for a while now to teach you, to train you. Please remember when we did our study in Acts, at the end of Acts, when Paul was caught in the shipwreck, we talked about storms that perfect you and storms that correct you. There are storms that come into your life that perfect you. They make you stronger, deeper in your walk with the Lord. You haven't done anything wrong, and you're just like, why is this storm heading me? Because God is refining you into a deeper image of him. And then there are storms that correct you. You are on the wrong path. You are wrong. And God allows storms into your life to get your attention to say you are just wrong. If you're in a storm of perfecting, accept it. Rejoice in it, the Bible says. Because you're going to come out stronger. If you're in a storm of correcting, turn at the rebuke of wisdom to say, Lord, I'm wrong. Well, how am I supposed to know if it's a storm of perfecting or if it's a storm of correcting? How about you just ask him? He'll let you know. If you have sin in your life that's leading you down the wrong path, he'll convict you of it. He is a gracious, merciful, loving God, quick to forgive. Mercies are new every morning. But he also loves you enough to say, I'm going to allow this discipline to get your attention. Hebrews says this. You don't need to turn there. If you endure chastening, if you endure discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you are God's son, he will discipline you. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, meaning God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. So when God disciplines you, he's doing it because he loves you and he wants to make you better. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God says, I love you enough to discipline you. I love you enough to sometimes let you stay in the pit. I love you enough that you went down a path that was not in wisdom, and I'm allowing you to stay on this path for a while, so that way when you learn, you'll turn at my rebuke the next time. It's actually love. Because look at the end, 33, the last verse of Proverbs 1. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Guys, that's what I want. I, I want to dwell safely. I want to be secure. I want to have no fear of evil. So what does God say? Just listen to me. Can you imagine how much better life would be if we would just listen to the wisdom of God? And we would walk in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Don't hate knowledge this morning. Choose the fear of the Lord. Trust him in all decisions. And let wisdom guide and direct you in all things. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, I pray that we could walk in wisdom, know wisdom, Listen to wisdom.